0: Magic Without Fears Hermetic Podcast. I'm your host, Frater RC. For more and exclusive episodes, visit magicwithoutfears.com. Thank you for your support. All right. Welcome, Storm. Fairy. Thank wolf. you.
1: Yes. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited.
0: It, it, it In my opinion, it was a long time coming, but for you, it, it was just some weirdo DMing you on Instagram.
1: <laughs> that's how it always works, and that's yeah. fine, and that's that's one of the things that I actually love about the internet, is we can make these connections. Um, sure, there's enough on the internet to, to not love, but, but that's one of the things that I absolutely do love the internet for, so I'm glad you reached out, and I'm, I'm happy to be here.
0: Yeah, well, I... I... I, I would have caught your lecture at PantheaCon, but I, I was literally, I, I, I was late to my own lecture because I couldn't find my way around that place was so huge. Like, and how many thousands yeah. of people were there? Like I was fashionably late to my lecture, walked in, slammed down my, my notes and just let it rip for, you know, what, an hour and a half. And fortunately I did very well. It's weird, nice. crazy to be lecturing. Uh, I'm 40. I'm, I was, I guess I was just before I turned 40. Um, about the golden dawn and with Mary Kay Greer in front of me who wrote like women of the golden dawn that was like one of the this, that was like a moment of my lifetime right like because I stayed home from school in Vienna in 97 just to finish that book pretending to be sick <laughs> you know and then to be a <laughs> and then there on, she is and all this dust going around and hanging out with chick Cicero and seeing like yeah Matt and uh Devin but I missed you mm-hmm. so you're here now I caught you I caught you with I'm my here Zoom I am night yeah there
1: we go absolutely thank you zoom
0: the fairy tradition is something you and i share in common because of uh my love and, and lifelong devotion to wb yates's sort of celtic stuff uh in the celtic mysteries that he was doing in as a uh, sort of fusion golden dawn style order uh, that right. he never finished but I, my first magic book in the occult was when i was like I think 13 and it was RJ Stewart's Celtic magic. So there's this (sighs) deep thing and like, you know, Wicca sort of took me actually brought me to Catholicism (laughs) and, and a very different (laughs) path in life than I started reading Scott Cunningham, but this sort of Celtic fairy, the fairy tradition, and Mm -hmm. especially my years in Ireland and, and everything I learned there. um, I just, that's something that's a common stream through some of the most interesting and hardcore craft practices like like the ones you come tradition you come from but also weaves through like the golden dawn and and these other groups as well so it's the fairy tradition i think is is just something that is, is sort of uh, transcendentally ecstatic in the magical yeah. culture so so thanks very much for being here this for people watching this is the book i'm going to mostly be talking about of his it's not his beginner book but and and it's not the next two it's this one. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's that one. That's the one. Um, that's the one that's actually gotten more um, exposure, you know, I, I guess, because, and I can imagine that part of it is because it is kind of the darker side, you know, of, of fairy, you know, and, and of our spiritual practice, you know, and there is where I talk about like um, the act of cursing in witchcraft. I talk about divine possession you know, some of the things that some people might consider to be quote unquote scary. And of course, the minute something is marketed as scary, or even the title, you know, Forbidden Mysteries of Fairy Witchcraft, it's kind of that velvet rope, right? And then people are like, oh, I it's forbidden? Oh, I, I have to have it, right? So on one level, that's like the marketing part of it. Um, but yet, it's true, because it's all about the shadow. And there is something about you know, it is scary because all the things that, that scare us, you know, we kind of, that really scare us, not the things that are fun to be scared about, you know, but the things that actually scare us, we don't look at, you know, and so that goes into that, that shadow, right, and so this particular book is really about working through the shadow, but in a way that incorporates a fairy mysticism, you know, and at least my, my particular take on it, because I don't, I don't claim to be, an academic, and I don't claim to be um, uh, certainly not a scholar, or, or even a traditionalist, you know, in, in the sense of, like, the Celtic, you know, um, emanations and, and, and histories, you know, of, of fairy, those are the roots, you know, for what I do, um, but I'm largely informed through what some people might call the Anderson fairy tradition, which is an initiatic um, path of American witchcraft. Um, but it takes those roots from Celtic cultures and, and honestly, many other cultures as well, and kind of uses those to inform our practice. Um, and that tends to be that, that's the main impetus, I would say, of, of my work, you know, really stems from um, the Anderson, you know, fairy tradition. So that's going to look different than, you know, maybe other fairy authors that are working much more closely with this is what the folklore says. Although obviously you see in, in that particular book, I do bring in um some very specific pieces of traditional folklore that really have spoken to me over the years, like you know, Thomas the Reimer and you know and so on and so forth. Tamlin. Tamlin, yeah, absolutely. I first let uh, past
0: the black lady and soon let past the brown. <laughs> yeah. We're gonna have some fun in this conversation. Nice, nice. Yeah, guys. I want to do a whole little segment on ballads and balladry. And uh, maybe talk about some of your choices that I really enjoyed. I compared the Thomas the Rhymer with some of the original ones from the Child's Book of Ballads, which oh, I, nice. which I've been obsessed with since I was 13 14. Um, oh, nice, and, very good. Uh, so, yeah. like, you can see why I'm so excited to talk to you, right? Because you're literally well, doing I, what what I love. I, uh, I hope yeah.
1: it doesn't disappoint. You know, <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I love a lot of the book. stuff I'm I do get... is just like this is how I feel about it, and so I don't know if it's right. But this is what's right for me. And that's so that's what I share with the world is you know, this is what I've worked with. This is what I, this is my own gnosis, you know, and and here you go. Hopefully it's useful, you know, for somebody else. But
0: the pantheon of gods you work with in in this book in particular, um, is that particular to your Black Rose uh, stream of that the lineage? Or are those gods common to the whole fairy tradition of the Andersons?
1: so the um that wouldn't be common to black rose black rose is kind of its own oh yours is blue rose Rose. so blue rose so it's going to be confusing right because they're both ours so blue rose is my lineage of the fairy tradition and so um so yes so so if i'm gonna retweak your question i will say the answer is yes they that it's particular not only to blue rose but to i would say the large portion a large portion of the overall anderson fairy tradition this is a particular teaching pantheon um because it should be understood that in our fairy tradition um our founder victor anderson um said that we don't have our own pantheon that we work with any gods you know basically the idea is in fairy we will work with whoever shows up Hmm. i like that so if if you are working with Hakate, or you're working with Kali, or you're whoever you're actually working with. um, That's just as fairy as working with something that's established, you know, as fairy. Because it's not the quality of the practice isn't in who you're working with; it's in what are you getting done. You know, I would say it's more results based, and really, it's about kind of establishing. I will say friendships you know, with the spirits, right? And so I'm not gonna be, um, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not gonna only focus on one group of friends because they're more popular. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna work with who I'm friends with, you know, and so, but this particular pantheon that I work with in, in those books are basically what has come to be understood as a teaching pantheon, you know, within at least certain lineages of the Anderson fairy tradition. And I realize that's probably not a clear-cut answer, but that's as close as I can get.
0: <laughs> it's, it's interesting to hear some parallels between um, in sort of your world and my world, because right now in my world, it's, it's considered sort of common wisdom to reject the idea that you should work with every spirit or being in a catalog or register of spirits, and rather that you should focus on just the ones that you're attracted to or can get to actually show up. And build those relationships with them rather than you know the good old days where it's like books of working with every single spirit like from franz barden to constantinos and all those other um right. you know it's like i worked with each one once yay i mean that is actually really good to do i mean don't not do that oh yeah <laughs> why no, not <laughs> like do them do each one once <laughs> like, yeah i think there's than.
1: value in that because you know it shouldn't just be who you're initially attracted to because if, if If it's just on who you're initially attracted to, you're potentially disregarding like a lot of experience that you might have. And in fact, you might really feel like a certain spirit or or deity, if you will, um, kind of rubs you the wrong way. That doesn't necessarily mean that you shouldn't work with them. That just might mean that whatever lesson they have for you is very personal and maybe it's impacting your shadow. And so I find if you have resistance to working with a particular spirit, um, you might at least do your due diligence and study that spirit and and maybe even reach out and see if if, if maybe actually working with them will change your mind and how you feel about that because there might be something that it has for you. You know, it was the same thing I would say, um, I mentioned earlier um, that, You know, I used to work at a uh, metaphysical shop, and a lot of people know that I I used to own a metaphysical shop. And uh, we closed it in 2020 because of COVID. And um, but we sold a lot of tumbled crystals, right? And so people would be drawn to certain crystals. And I would always hear the story like, oh, well, I'm drawn to rose quartz. So that means that I need rose quartz, or you know, I'm drawn to amethyst. So that means I need amethyst. Oh, but I just can't stand hematite. And so obviously, I'm not supposed to work with hematite and i would often feel the opposite you know and be like well actually you probably have resistance to hematite because of what it represents you know it probably is a lesson that you need to learn you probably aren't comfortable with hematite because yeah it's outside your comfort zone but the things that are outside your comfort zone are usually the very things that are going to help us to evolve you know are going to help us to you know kind of round out our personalities or give us new lessons new ideas new perspectives um, But then, you know, then maybe so then you work with hematite. If it still doesn't work for you, at least you tried, right? But I think a lot of people are like, oh, I don't want to work with it. So they're just not going to. And then you've basically cut off this this potential life-changing experience. And so whether it's crystals or it's spirits or deities, I think that the same um, value holds true. You know, that just because you might have resistance to it doesn't mean automatically that you don't need it. It might mean absolutely that you do. You know and it's only through trial and error it's only through giving ourselves the opportunity to have that experience that we'll be able to determine what the truth actually is
0: well said oh, thank you <laughs> yeah so wait, what year did the anderson tradition begin
1: well that's very blurry um, so um
0: so it must have been the 60s um,
1: um well if you listen <laughs> to victor it was before then you know so um, victor claimed you know he was born in 1917 and so he claimed that he was first initiated when he was nine years old. Um, I do talk about that um, in my first book on the fairy tradition, Betwixt and Between. Um, I hope that it was actually a trance experience um, because there was a sexual element involved in his experience where he found this, you know, old woman out in the woods and Instinctively, he took off his clothes and she initiated him sexually. I'm like, dude, he was nine years old. So that's, that's effing creepy, if you ask me. So I, yeah. I do talk about that in, in my book. I do believe it was a trance experience. Um, I fucking hope so. I would hope so. There's also the little bit of after he died, um, there was a particular book that was found that was set aside from the rest of his library. And this book was like a cheesy, like, Pulp Fiction novel. It was called Confessions of a Warlock by Curtis Lavender. And um, terrible, terrible, I've skimmed it. Even skimming it, I feel like I lost brain cells. But um, but the gist of it is that this person, it's written as fiction, but the author claims that it's real and you know, written under a pseudonym. And this person claims a childhood initiation that is almost 100% what Victor claimed was his. And this book came out before Victor's initiation story was written down and published. And so it doesn't prove that Victor just stole this story, you know, from somebody else, but it kind of points in that direction that he wasn't necessarily being, you know, 100% honest, you know, about that. Um, So hopefully he just stole it. The the one thing that I noticed that was different, because there was a lot that was identical, like the name of the goddess was the same, you know, oh, these brass bowls filled with herbs, and all the details of the initiation were the same, Um, but the one difference was that um, in the book, um, this Curtis Lavender person said he was 10 years old, Mm -hmm. and um, Victor said he was nine, so I was like, oh, okay, so he, he one-upped the, the, the guy, you know, and um, that, Seems to fit with um, the personality as it's been described to me, you know, of Victor Anderson, where he was a little bit of a trickster, and um, you know, I, I I never met him. I did have one phone call with Victor about you know two plus hours, you know, way back in the day, and it was a great phone call, and he was able to like hone in on stuff about me that I didn't share. Like I told him my name was Storm. And this is back in the day where I, I mean, I, w- I hadn't done anything, you know, so nobody knew me. Yeah. And I told him I was Storm, and he's telling me about the wolf, and why the wolf is an important symbol for me, and you know, And I was like, "What is happening? You know, <laughs> this is crazy." Um. So anyway, later, um, so after his childhood initiation, Victor claimed that he was initiated again, this time into a coven, and this would have been when he was about fifteen, and that coven called themselves the Harpies, and they operated in Southern Oregon. And he says if they broke up later around World War II and then um, around that time is when he met um, the woman that was uh, um, to be his wife, Cora, they claimed that they actually recognized each other um, when they first met, that they had actually um, met each other and had sex with each other prior to that on the astral. And so when they met physically, they instantly both recognized each other and they were married three days later. And they stayed together until he died in 2001. Um, So who's to say exactly when the fairy tradition started? Probably more proper in the 60s, I'd say. But he was kind of teaching people even before that. You know, he moved, um, like in the 50s at some point, he moved to San Leandro, California, um, which isn't too far from where I live. I live in the San Francisco Bay Area. And um, he started teaching on a small scale there at that time Um, but there really aren't any records there's nothing really we can point to and say yes at this date at this time Um, so it would be the 60s that we can know for sure that he was teaching Um, but also the form of the fairy tradition has has shifted and changed you know over the years um which is what i think it should do you know um when i was trained i started training First in 1992. And it was always explained to me that, yes, we have these exercises, we have these symbols in these forms, but none of that is really important. You know, all of those things are basically tricks to kind of get us into the right frame of mind, I'll say. And um, so it's really about just tapping into the powers. And so if this particular exercise doesn't work for you, then we'll figure out something else that does, you know, and then that becomes part of the tradition, right? the stuff that all fairy initiates share is so minimal. It's like, it's so minimal and so Spartan that it's like jaw dropping, right? My little joke has been like, everything would fit on one side of a three by five index card. And that's not even really a joke. Like that's legit. It's, It's so minimal. Everything else is like, it's grown up around this core. And so whether it's, you know, pantheons, working with specific spirits, um, exercises, you know, lore, all of that stuff is stuff that has really kind of grown up around this uh, initiatic core, this current of energy that really is the core of the fairy tradition, is really the initiation. Um, however, all of these things that have grown up around it, I found to be really helpful. And not only did they help me, but I've seen them help other people as well. And so that was one of my um, reasons my inspirations for um, writing my books you know kind of pr- trying to yeah. put things out there for <clears throat> teaching because I found it to be really useful and I, I love the fairy tradition so much I want to share it with others who are likewise drawn
0: to you're doing it tremendous honor I mean your prose is fabulous it's fabulous oh it's thank a delight. you it's a delight to read I'm very judgmental
1: <laughs> I really thank you I really appreciate I love writing <sighs> I um I've al- I've always loved stuff. writing I um you know and I'm, I'm I can I fancy myself a bit of an artist and and um and a and a poet um, but writing even if I'm writing something like you know just like the history you know we we're talking about like the history of fairy um, how it sounds is so important to me like the words like I I, ha- I have to actually speak them out loud you know and I want to hear them they're they're meant to be spoken. And especially the actual poetry that I that I yeah. that I write—it's everything's meant to be spoken—and so thank you. That's a that's a tremendous compliment. I appreciate that.
0: I did a little uh, Celtic Mysteries W. B. Yeats thing on Yeats's birthday last year, and and uh, and Sean, whose LVX Files podcast you did, folks. Yeah. I'm 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 not going over the same stuff as he went on before. He covered a lot. You covered you covered a lot of personal life and politics and fascinating fascinating things with Sean. Um, or Lelo Awen on LVX files on YouTube and platforms so I uh, wanted to make sure I didn't like duplicate any of that which is good because I, I think that leaves us a lot of room to get into your, your more your magic per se and and your understanding nice. of, of the fairy tradition yeah so yeah awesome <laughs>
1: Thank you. Yeah. I'm excited.
0: Yeah. Um, So where were we? (laughs) (laughs) There was a question there, I'm sure. And
1: this is why I won't have my gumming until we're done. Yeah. I I haven't
0: smoked weed in in seven days, six days, six days. And I did because I was nervous. Like I was telling you, you can tell how, how much I respect and how famous the guest is by how fucked up I get. So like, like Ashen Chasson, like Ashen Chasson, I don't know if you know him. He's a respected, somewhat respected up and coming author. I was like, I was blacked out by the end of the interview.
1: Oh my God. Wow.
0: That's how much I respect that man. Yeah. Respect him so much. You have to be asleep. You know? Hearing him talk Japanese is just like, I could listen to that man talk Japanese. Oh, with, wow. Wow. You know, and talk about ninjutsu. And then so he's arguably considered one of he's just without with no without argument considered one of the top evocational grammar magicians in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. He's, he's like no one debates that. Everyone loves. Him. <laughs> that's kind of how I
1: feel about um, R.J. Stewart. Amen. You know, Let's um, talk
0: about R.J. Stewart.
1: I love R.J. Stewart. And um, I, I had the opportunity. Well, I've met him a couple times. And I did have the opportunity, I guess, a couple of years ago, it must, it must be a couple of, like three, at least three years ago now, cause we've been in a pandemic now for, you know, a couple of years, but, um, going on through flies when you're having fun. Oh my God. Um, but I, I had an opportunity to work with him at like a, a, like a long weekend retreat, um, in the, um, um, Santa Cruz area. Amazing. It was him, myself, and Orion Foxwood. Was this, uh, so it was what like, years
0: were this? Maybe
1: what years uh, This has to be like, it has to be three years ago. I'm oh, like four yeah. years ago. I'll have to look at my notes. I don't get along with linear time on That's the hard. best of days, you know? So, um, but especially now, I don't know, getting older and the pandemic, it's like everything blurs together. I'm like, I don't know. I'm fairly confident this happened in the past, but don't hold me to it. Um, but he is just delightful, but he is, I would say, hands down is, considered to be kind of the 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 creme de la creme of like um, an academic understanding of fairy folklore as translated into a spiritual practice yeah and um, I know that when I was in my training in Anderson fairy witchcraft um, a lot of initiates and students of our fairy tradition were also attending workshops with RG Stewart um, because RJ kind of provided more of the folkloric fairy um, understanding that wasn't as explored in anderson fairy and this is where it gets very tricky because there isn't it working in a folkloric way you know isn't universal in anderson fairy witchcraft and this brings up some weird questions the main question being why are you called fairy tradition if you're not all working with fairies? And I have an answer for that. One is we are all working with fairies. Just some of us don't know it. You know, in fact, I think all witches are working with fairies and you just don't know it.
0: There's a conspiracy theory that the Enochian angels are fairies.
1: Yeah, well, I would say that that's true, but it depends on how you're defining theory. Fake news, fake
0: news, they're angels. (laughs) (laughs) But what? Here
1: we, what does that mean?
0: Hey, this you know, is coming like, from a guy who posted online multiple Enochian ritual ceremonies that I did with psilocybin to enter the she. So I hear that. I hear
1: that. I, I,
0: am, I am actually exploring the possibility, but I also believe in practicing Enochian magic in a sort of purest Christian way with my full belief in Christ as Lord and Savior. You know, I hear you. And just Why doing not? these prayers. Our 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 interpreta- our experiences is uh, our experiences are are mediated, right? Like yeah, we're in. I don't know if we're in the matrix, but we're in some matrix. <laughs> or, 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 I, I or, hear what you mean. Or we think yeah, we, we, we see so little of reality,
1: right? And it, it all comes through our personal lens, you know, mm-hmm. our own baggage, and 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 this is what I mean. Like you know, like on one level, sure, they they could all be considered fairies because like in my first book um, on the subject, Betwixt and Between, I talk about kind of more of the original definition of fairy, which was not what we think of today. You know, today we think of like, oh, fairy. a fairy is this little diminutive being, you know, they're little the Tinkerbell or Pixies and they, they grant wishes and they make children laugh and oh, ha ha ha, they're beautiful and whatever. But then you look at the folklore and they're like, oh my God, stay away. The fairies are dangerous and like, like 90% of the magic that has to do with fairies is how to protect yourself from them. And you hear all the stories of the fairy abductions and how they could kill you. And then there's the fairy changeling, you know, which that's a whole other conversation. Um, but originally the word fairy simply meant things of magic and enchantment. And it kind of had that, that, that atmospheric quality of eeriness, of mystic eeriness, right? Something is other something is weird. It's not normal. And that was it. So under that definition, any god or spirit of the dead is it, it It is this magical othering, you know, from normal waking consciousness, right? It's not just a particular race that lives, you know, in primarily Ireland and Scotland and Wales. You know, we have these stories of, the little people, and sometimes they're not little, um, but all over the world. And there's different, there's obviously cultural differences and, you know, the differences in language and things like that. But when you strip it down, they are strikingly similar. And I think that one of the things that is the common denominators in all this is human consciousness, right? And this is why I also think that if you look at folk magic from all over the world, you get these very strikingly similar practices, you know. Like in a in the United States, you know, there's a lot, you know, that we consider hoodoo, you know, or or, or conjure, depending on you know which you know cultural yeah. manifestation we're looking at more specifically. Um, and they have very strikingly similar you know practices to each other. But then you know, look at something like Scandinavian trolldom. And it's like, wow, that's like the same thing, basically, but it's with different herbs, because they've got different plants, you know, but they're still using, you know, passages from the Bible, they're still making dolls or, or bags, and they're stuffing them with herbs, they're using their breath, they're using their prayer, you know, and it's like, wow, this is basically the same thing, but maybe just, you know, oh, they're using different color fabric, you know, they're using some different herbs, but the practice right. itself is so strikingly almost the same right and so it at least draws from the same magical or 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 spiritual well we'll say right it's drawing from like a a, a, the same source but then it, it manifests through our own cultural understandings or misunderstandings in some cases yeah um but yeah so so when i talk about fairy and i'm talking about the fairy tradition to me it's very nebulous and purposely so like the fae themselves like the fae themselves they're always kind of like out of the corner of your eye right they're always and they're also always receding you know there's there's all this talk about like oh the fairies were once with us but now they've you know basically gone into hiding right now we're the dominant species perhaps and now they've gone under the mounds or they're in the the wilderness or they're under the earth and but they're never quite gone but they're always on their way out, right? It's kind of just like, just outside of human awareness, just outside of our normal perception. But then those of us who work in a magical and or spiritual path, I think we kind of, we develop the um, the skill or the opportunity to be able to start to see them a little bit more head on. And I do think that, you know, it's kind of like, you know, you know, that whole thing in Peter Pan, right? Clap your hands if you believe in fairies. You know, if you believe in them, and it, or even if you don't necessarily believe in them, but if you attune your consciousness toward them, then they start to show themselves a little bit more, you know, and so um, so just through the any, any practice. And that's why I tell people, you know, people ask me, well, how can I start to work with the Fae? Well, the number one thing w- for me would be um, just, you know, make an offering, start making regular offerings, set a space where you can just have even just a few minutes just to believe in them for a moment, you know, but also be aware of what you're doing because, you know, they are different than humanity. And there's a reason why people felt that they were dangerous. Although I will say that I think that a lot of the the, the talk of the Fae being dangerous, it's not that it's wrong because they definitely are dangerous. But I think a lot of that is more fear based than it needs to be. And I do think that a lot of it comes more from a Christian orthodoxy centered fear, where everything other than the baby Jesus is considered to be, you know, evil and scary and of the devil. Right.
0: Yeah.
1: I'm not saying this so people will be cavalier, you know, about their relationships with the Fae. I think you need to be fully present and fully respectful um, because they will mess you up if you come with disrespect they're gonna they're gonna do stuff you know um that's been my experience you know um if i forget to pay attention to them sometimes it's kind of like well it's kind of like I, I have dogs right and if i forget to pay attention to my dogs they're gonna let me know you know they're they're up on my lap they're making themselves known the fae are the same that's when they start hiding my keys you know
0: and you i have pour a- that milk and the cream on the hills. They
1: get whiskey from me.
0: <laughs> I, I the house fae uh, get whiskey. I wanna be one of the house fae in your house.
1: <laughs> I do a thing where if anybody ever, like, you know, if it's a like cocktail night, you know, we have to pour one out for the house fae and I have to give it to them first. Um, or at least I try to give it to them first. That's, that's my practice now is to make sure they get fed first and then we can have our cocktail and whatever. But even just through that act, it doesn't necessarily have to be the whiskey itself, although maybe, maybe, but I think it's it's a type of sacrifice, right? Because hey, that's good whiskey, or or in our case, it's usually bourbon. Um, I um that's I would drink that. I love that, you know, I would I would totally have that, but I'm giving some to the Fay. I'm giving it to you guys because I, I want us to have a good relationship. And if I maintain that relationship, then I feel like things go well. And if I forget because sometimes i do um i mentioned before i'm a pisces i can be all over the map um that's when things my go progressed
0: missing. my progressed son when i turned 40 last year just now left pisces for aries thank god it was not <laughs> a fun 10 years brother from 30 to 40 my son had progressed from aquarius to pisces and jesus fucking christ <laughs>
1: Oh my goodness. I'm not quite at that level of astrology. So I'm like, huh. Oh, I have to talk to my, my, astrologer mom's an friends. An, I, yeah, my
0: mom's an astrologer. I grew up, she was an astrologer my whole life, put me in Waldorf school, shit like that. Oh yeah. wow. Yeah. I had a, a weird ass life. And, uh, but, <laughs> and, and, and RJ Stewart was the first book I ever read cover to cover in one sitting coming back from the Okanagan in British Columbia after going to a bookstore with my mom and her boyfriend, who is like a big Amwork guy. And like, Finding out magic was like real, and I was like, "Oh fuck!" I saw like R.J. Stewart's (laughs) Celtic Magic. I'm like, "Yeah, game over." Like read the whole book on the drive back to Vancouver. Set up my first altar. Sat down. Was like, "Oh, well, what now?" But I was in. His stuff is amazing. I mean, I burned through like probably 150, 200 Celtic Wicca, or like all the all the stuff, like all the books. That's what led me to ceremonial magic and like. Alephalevi Agrippa and all the Golden Dawn stuff it's because I burned through the other extant Wiccan stuff and needed more like I did lessons in the reclaiming tradition when I was like 13 14 15 with Pat Hogan in Vancouver but like it wasn't enough and so that's why that's why I ended up in Golden Dawn sixteen.
1: I think it's important sometimes to look at this worst material because of course if we're looking at like modern witchcraft there's a lot of very heady source material that went into the creation of, of the modern craft, and um, you know, and I, I think it's important to to at least familiarize ourselves, you know, with it. Again, I'm not a scholar, um, but I'm a book collector, like many of us, you know, and um, and especially now, my God, wow. now that now that Matt Oren um, is is part of our family, um, we've basically doubled our library, um,
0: and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go get it, folks.
1: Yeah, that's, that's a great
0: book. It's, it, it's quite it the really bestseller is. too. Like it, a lot of the techniques are indistinguishable from ones in the Golden Dawn. And, and, and that's just a sign that like, you know, if such radically different groups are coming up with the same practices, it's not because he read it and forgot it from some other thing. No, it's he came up with it because this is a real right. thing. And if you actually practice this stuff, you all come to the same experiences and conclusions. Right.
1: And that's, that's, that was my point with, like uh, maple. you know, folk magic across the world, you know, it, the common denominator is human consciousness, you know, yeah. we come up with these things, because they're real, you know, because they assist us in actually connecting and, and, and um, being able to communicate, you know, with you know, I, I usually use the, you know, the term spirits kind of universally, you know, um, I, I'm more comfortable with spirits now. than I am with gods these days. My favorite um, is
0: spiritual creatures.
1: Oh, there you go. And I want to say, I, I think I'm not reclaiming, but I want to say that like, I think the, the term in reclaiming now is just mysterious ones. I might be wrong about that. Um, but I like that too, because it, it really doesn't answer your question. When we say, oh, these are the gods I work with. I think there's a little bit of of hubris in that because the, my question is yeah, well what constitutes a gods. god like well what constitutes a god I mean there we could have that talk you know whatever and I'm not I'm not saying that there isn't things that that constitute a god but but I think everybody kind of has their own definition and a lot of times I feel like that definition is overtly um, influenced by um monotheistic baggage, you know, where like God is omnipotent and God is, you know, better than you and God is transcendent. And even if we don't think we're subscribing to all those ideas, a lot of times we are because we were brought up in a society that kind of defined God, you know, in that way. And so even working in witchcraft or paganism, I find a lot of people will still kind of carry that over. And so oh the gods are out there they're above me and i'm gonna bow down to the gods well one of the things that i had learned fairly early on in witchcraft was a witch bows to no one and um especially in fairy tradition we were taught that that includes the gods we are on equal footing with the gods they just they do things that are different than us we do things that are different from them it needs to be a symbiotic
0: relationship
1: you know yeah um it's not might like interest they're just you sorry I go what's back. that
0: no god what was that this it's so funny that some of the parallels i keep finding uh, anyway so this my issue. The, there's a core golden dawn practice that even when you like invoke or evoke a god like even if i invoke or summon Tahuti, you still visualize even if you're path working but or doing evocation you, you visualize yourself as taller than the being
1: oh okay
0: yeah that's like an old there school go. original golden dawn teaching so it's nice and it's funny to see that because you know it's not like it didn't come from there it's not like it was transmitted i don't think right because that that information still isn't even barely published that's yeah i didn't know that most of the golden dawn tradition is still not published oh right on I didn't yeah oh yeah no it sort of sucks actually <laughs> but you know we get what we have we get what we can i got some unpublished stuff but yeah no the lineage but that's that's,
1: that's I, I like that idea of, you know, so visualizing yourself um, taller than, than the God. Yeah, there, there's a thing that I really work works. with with my Blue Rose fairy students where, we're, um, where we work with the Watchers or sometimes called the Guardians. And um, I will often envision them at first as like bigger than we are because then we get that sense of like, oh, there's all this power, right? And you get that sense of feeling dwarfed. But then while we're working with them, we're kind of taking in that power and it's growing within us to the point where we end up merging with them and we are kind of at the center of them. And, and so you kind of get the same thing where at first you get the sense of, oh, it's this big power, but then it kind of, it does balance out because then it's like, well, then our power becomes just as big. And through the marriage of it, it becomes bigger than either one of us were you know, before um so not quite the same but it kind of it kind of rings that like a similar a,
0: bell. yeah well it's it's very chemical wedding you know yeah the, yeah alchem- yeah yeah chemical process at it, at its core um yeah uh we focus a lot in Golden dawn on polarities we actually yeah. even consider like it's less important which directions or which elements correspond to each directions and more important what uh, polarities we invoke into the space yeah a lot of people don't know that it's actually a really when you think as a magician i'm sure you you can see why that's actually quite interesting Uh, yeah it's sort of of a game changer when it comes to maybe ritual design in certain ways Um, it's
1: like an inner it's kind of creating like an energetic potion right it's like a little of this and it marries with this and you know you're kind of trying to balance it out and and um yeah yeah the only polarity that i haven't been happy with is um is the mis, the misunderstanding of gender polarity, and um, but that, that's uh, its own that's its own thing, right? Go there? <laughs> that's its whole Wanna other conversation. <laughs> we can go there. I'm happy to go there. One of my uh, upcoming books is about that.
0: So, uh, well, tell us about the book now that you brought it up, because uh, I, uh, you know, I'm sure, yeah, sure. Well,
1: Shameless plug. So, my um, I actually have two books that are coming out um this year, um in March, um the Witch's Name. Um, comes out. But the one that I I want to talk about right now is the one that comes out in May, and that's The Sater's Kiss. And that primarily is a book, it's written for queer men, um, and it's primarily a way of working modern witchcraft that centers our queer male identity um, and also incorporates sex magic, you know, into the practice. Because I really didn't see anything out there that was like sex magic for queer men, you know. Um, And even when I saw things that would include, you know, queer people in sex magic, it was often basically telling us to visualize like the heterosexual gender polarity and just, oh, you're balancing the male and female within yourself. And I actually take uh, some exception to that notion that that's, that's what we need to do Um, because that's still enshrining a heterosexual relationship as the model by which all of us should compare ourselves to. And I only think that heterosexual people should have to do that. You know, I don't think it's about balancing male and female necessarily within, within myself. It can be that at times, but that's just a metaphor. You know, that's not everything that's going on. So...
0: Oops, I seem to have lost you. I can't hear you anymore. Oh, sorry. I was going to say, I muted for your book, your shameless book plug, plug, and I want to talk about uh, satyrs with you more. I love Oh, seders. sure. Um, I have a song about them. Um, oh, nice. But what was I going to say? Uh, I don't know. I lost it now. <laughs> I got muted. Ah, I made a note. It says, based on sort of what you were saying it, from the, the podcast you did on the LVX files, four locks
1: four, <laughs> locks, four
0: locks. And I was, and I wrote, well, you definitely are taking the power couple to the next level. <laughs>
1: yeah. There are oh. four of us now. And so that was actually, that was Matt's thing. You know, um, it started as our shared um, text thread because of course, you know we're all in different rooms in the house and we're all trying to coordinate you know whatever just mundane stuff and you know instead of just having all of our names at the top of our iphone you know text screen um matt changed it to four locks and i just thought it was delightful and then it got mentioned and then that kind of took off and and somebody on twitter was actually using it as a hashtag when they were like referring to us collectively oh my and, god we're gonna make it I, happen and i love it so um
0: i've almost got i like- love it you know, I've got a lot of followers on Instagram on both my channels, but I'm shadow banned to high heaven. I can't imagine why. It's not, it's not like I do fake ads for Adrenochrome or something like that. You know, It's not like I'm misbehaving at all. I'm a, I'm a well-behaved, uh, transgressive. Now, um, my golden Dawn motto means broken of chains which I didn't realize was even a sort of a allusion to the goddess Isis in Egypt until, mm. uh, until Pantheacon, you know, Pantheon and the fires and COVID I was believe it or not staying at Isis Oasis. I was teaching at Isis Oasis. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Like it was a crazy 14 months. And so wow, I, yeah, yeah. yeah, um, I, I did a bunch of book readings in the area and I was going to hopefully do one at your store, but COVID, covid at least we yeah. ha- at least we got Pantheacon. at least we got that could you imagine <laughs> if we had missed that if we had lost that that would have that would have really sucked
1: yeah i i sadly i didn't go to the final Pantheacon in, in 2020 because i was
0: actually well not that was post covid well. yeah it was post covid
1: well it was actually right before covid was official but it was it was
0: our border in- was shut down our border was shut down i couldn't have come back from canada
1: Oh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know about that. But it was it was before before our country recognized COVID. Um, it was like right before. And, yeah, it was um, February
0: 2020.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and you so were there. We no. Yeah, you were there. No, I wasn't there. <laughs> you no, were there. I skipped. That was the final Pantheon. I have I the
0: brochure it. with your stuff in it.
1: I, I wasn't there
0: I Are you sure? Are you sure? I'm sure. Well, I didn't see you. I was there, you there 2019.
1: I, I was there 2019, but in 2020 I decided not to go and I was really like h- kind of heartbroken over it because it, it was it was the final PantheaCon.
0: Well, that's They'd already why I decided didn't it was the final you. one. That's why yeah, that was so you didn't go to the final one. I ran around looking for you convinced that you were there. I ran into to to Matt Warren. Yeah, I was and supposed Devin. to be there. I And I even had, I had, nice had with Devin, but I never I, I would have I
1: would have oh, been in man. the program because yeah. I did have stuff that I was going to do, but then I was sick.
0: Oh. And so
1: I did, I had to cancel. Okay. And, and then I thought, you know, it's, it's good that I'm canceling because you didn't, I tell would me. be that guy who is bringing a sickness, you know, to this convention, you know, and, and I, I would get sick at every convention anyway, you know, that's before COVID, you know, yeah. and so I thought, you know, I'm not going to do this, but even like 2019, Oh my god, I was so I was so sick for like a whole day. Had a fever, the whole thing. It's because, you know, recycled air, just so many people, you know, and sure there was like, you know, making out time, you know whatever. And I'm like, "Oh, I need to stop. I'm I'm getting everyone's germs and um I used to share drinks, people, you know, somebody was talking to me about meat earlier and the heathens would come in with their mead that they had, you know, brewed over the year, and then everyone's sharing mead. Oh, drink, chase this one, chase this one, and I didn't even think about it. You know, it's just like we're sharing all these germs. Now, after COVID, I'm just like, oh no, I'm never sharing a drink again. You know? <laughs> oh yeah,
0: yeah. I'm over it. Yeah, it's uh, certainly in my world changed the Eucharist.
1: Oh, I can. Yeah, I can imagine.
0: Yeah, right? you know. um, but it's not wine; it's Jesus blood. Yeah, that sounds less sanitary to me. <laughs> You're not selling me on it, but okay. <laughs> uh, us cannibal Christians, you know. I mean, hey, Gnostic Cannibalism sounds like a good band name. <laughs> One thing I was surprised in Ireland was to discover because I did five years there with my Celtic band, basically oh, touring awesome. around. Yeah, and. They actually have a very a somewhat accepted loose equivocation between the realm of the she under the hills and Chirnanog, mm-hmm. the island of the young in the west. Isn't that interesting that That's they funny. actually do consider the island of Chirnanog in the west to be equivalent to the she under the hills where the two of were, you know, fled and became fairies? That's cool. And, That's and, cool. I, I was fascinated to also find out that despite what some academics who are into psychedelics claim about not there being no psychedelics in Ireland and England in in a long time ago. So one, one I read even said not until like the fifties, which is just absurd because in Donegal in the hills of Donegal in Northern Ireland, the mushrooms grow a plenty. And the first place I did mushrooms was on the bank of the Corrib in Galway. And I learned that they the Irish Gaelic, the Gaelga for, for magic mushrooms, for the psilocybin mushrooms is actually Kapani puka, which means puka hat.
1: Oh, okay. And
0: they have a, a very seemingly well-accepted tradition that you take the puka hats to enter into the she. And the, the lesson there, the trick is that I learned and that some people whispered about is that like the puka, you sort of got a shape shift and you got to shift your shape through the journey. Cause as you know, it's like you said about our fairies dangerous like well not necessarily but if you go as you know if you fight a mushroom trip yeah if you fight the journey in, in into the she and under the hills you can end up maybe have having some dead ends or not so nice experiences yeah um so i think at, i, I want to talk to you about approach and attitude uh the the mental and spiritual approach to working with the fae and maybe i'd like to know a little bit of, of how you in your experience consider the fae not just uh, theoretically but but also experientially uh you know as a i'm sure a very skilled psychic yourself
1: oh well um hopefully i have some skill so thank you for that are you more uh, seeing <laughs> or feeling um i'm more feeling okay I, Me too. um things blur you know i i have seen things like even physically. Have, oh yeah. I've seen things, you know, before, um, mostly how it manifests to me is I feel like I'm almost seeing it, you know, like, like the feeling is so strong. I can't believe I'm not physically seeing it. Yeah. You know, there's that, or I'll see well, something. That's like,
0: that's like the grimoire magicians who claim, it's a full physical apparition that anyone could see, but no one else can be there and I can't take a picture of it. That's exactly the (laughs) same thing. It's like, It really looks real. You think you're seeing it. I swear it's fucking there. I'm not sure if I could take a picture of it or if someone else in the same room would see it, but I swear to God it's there. And there's like knockings and the room temperature has gone way down and I'm freezing despite the fire on like that sort of shit. We all know the signs of when a spirit shows up. You know, right. The more yeah, sensitive yeah. you are, the less likely you are to miss the signs. Right. And perhaps and I, even and easier and it I, is to I, communicate.
1: I think there's something too some about um, discerning patterns or seeing, um, like for example, like being out in the woods, you know, and starting to see faces like in the trees and in the and the in the leaves and you know patches of sky and, and, and whatever. I, I think that those things can be really. Powerful. It seems almost silly, you know, when you talk about it. Like, oh, I'm seeing faces in a tree in the tree branches, or whatever. It's just like, okay, what? What were you smoking? You know, but it is about DMT somewhere. There, there you go. Um, But it's it's about shifting your brain somehow. You you could have smoked something, or drank something, or imbibed something. um, But just as likely, I mean, DMT is already in your brain, right? And so it's like something has shifted your consciousness. You know, it could be breathing. You know, it could be, you know, you know, adjusting your body temperature, you know, somehow there are different things that will shift our consciousness to where we will start to see patterns emerge. And it's kind of like, it's, it's basically the same technique as scrying, yeah. you know, where we look into, a, you know, it's like every kid has done this. You
0: go into the bathroom, you look in the mirror,
1: bloody Mary, bloody Mary.
0: Right. And so you, I you never freak did yourself that out. You Every my that. sister and all her little friends were doing that and i was like no and they're like why not i'm like because i'm not fucking stupid and i, I am not, a suspicious, I'm I not a suspicious person i not a suspicious person but like you know i was i was having radical experiences uh, like i started transcendental meditating it was initiated into that maharishi's cult with my family um oh, at, wow. at age eight so like meditating oh twice a day you know from eight the way up till i joined the golden dawn at 16 and with like Wicca, wiccan celtic druidry all the way in between so like i was i was aware that of of beings i'd seen lots of spirits. i had been paralyzed one once when i tried to self-initiate using donald michael craig's modern magic i had the shit kicked out of me and my my wiccan coven mates there to watch it and it was brutal you know that's when i joined a temple it doesn't hurt to learn from people who know more than you
1: oh i hear that
0: yeah yeah that and that was actually what drew me to
1: formally training, you know, yeah. eventually in, in the fairy tradition, because yeah. I, I recognized, oh, there's got to be holes at the very least in, in my quote unquote training, because I was self-trained. I was self-taught. You know, I, I mean, I read every book I could get my hands on. Don't get me wrong. You know, I'm not saying I just made it up all on my own, but I never took any of it as gospel. I, I, I for some reason, I never bought into the idea that anybody had the right path I just assumed everybody was pr- probably had the right path for them, and if I could take, if it could inspire me, if I could take something from it and it would lead me, you know, further, I thought that was a success. Um, but when I started um, working with a coven, and my first coven was just three of us, it was just me and the and these two young women that I knew, and we were all basically on the same level. None of us had any formal training. But what was really important is that we had an open mind and the willingness to experiment. And I found that to be some of the most powerful magic that I had done, you know, um, like in my life, even still, you know, there, there's stuff there that I feel was really, really important and kind of set the stage for me. You know, later I would train in, a, in formal traditions, but I never lost that idea that like really the power is in experimentation. You know, yes, we can learn certain things, guidelines, safety measures, you know, along the way. But ultimately, once you plug into the powers that be, all bets are off, you know, and hopefully your training will kick in and we'll, and you'll do what you need to do in the moment to navigate that moment. Um, but ultimately, the forms of practices, that kind of falls by the wayside. You know, they become suggestions at some point you know, and, huh. um, and you just have to experiment and see, you know, and I've always felt that the craft was an experimental path, you know, that, you know, not, ev- nobody has all the answers, you know, I've been teaching the craft since I was 21. Yeah. And, you know, which is weird to say, you know, um, dude, the I'm, golden I,
0: dawn, when I was 17, had me started teaching classes of, of zealotors and neophytes and these were like classes of 10, 20, 40, 50-year-olds. And I was 17. Yeah. So it's fucking you. crazy. It's fucking crazy. It's trial by yeah. fire, man. But hey, this is actually what I wanted to say ask you. is like It does seem, the more I look around, that a lot of us hardcore folks get into it very young. It's not like something yeah. we discover later in life. And a lot of, this is not saying say a lot of remarkable magicians, adepts, and masters don't get into it later in life. I mean, just look at the traditional Kabbalists who start at 40. I mean, right, it, right, right, right. You don't have to get into it young. Don't, don't, don't delay. Just uh, but but a lot of us do get into it when we're young. And then I look at how sort of this the relationship between the older and younger magicians in the occult world, you know, witch talk versus you know people with phds now the amount of occultists who have phds now is fucking insane right
1: yeah <laughs> like
0: whoa <laughs> like we have university departments when did this was, become respectable yeah i yeah. <laughs> i got accepted into the uh the western esotericism phd program in 2004 wow right? good for you that's awesome um, and uh it closed down but like there's still amsterdam and there's other ones and there's wiccan seminaries like you know Um, I got my, I did my MDiv at a Christian uh, theological college, the seminary, but there's Wiccan ones now, which is amazing. It's just amazing. So, so how do I I think about how young people like us got into this stuff, and about the the conflicted relationship, it seems between more experienced people and then, you know, the noobs who are coming up and, and struggling to find their place and feeling maybe um, not accepted or yeah you know and that causes I think some of them to lash out in ways that are causing a sort of a war in my world right now like you know young people who think they they know everything and are insecure Mm -hmm. and see it as a zero-sum game and so they have to take down everyone else who doesn't agree with them including people who have literally been doing it for like longer than they have been born (laughs) I mean it's all
1: kind of absurd it's like can't we get
0: it's like how do we do we Did we do this to these younger people? Did we not I mean, treat them right?
1: I mean, yes and no. I mean, I think that, yes, w- you know we didn't treat them right in some regards because, you know, just it, it, just the larger society usually doesn't value the voices of the young. You know, and so I think that there is already that kind of feeling there might be a chip on the shoulder so to
0: speak they they um, say gatekeeper all the time I'm sure you're aware of this oh yeah yeah Yeah. whatever but you know I also
1: what what stupid stuff did we do when we were young you know I mean I did stupid stuff that I'm not going to talk about because you know it wasn't recorded and on the internet at the time and thank gods you know Um, but I did stupid stuff and uh, I remember this isn't my story but this a woman that I used to work with um, and I just thought this was so perfect. She, when she first got involved in the craft, and um, somebody was talking to her about Samhain, and she was brand new, and she like got all like huffed and puffed, and said, "Well, our our coven, our tradition celebrates Samhain," because she had never heard it pronounced. You know, she had just seen it like in in their books, whatever, and she thought she was correcting. Somebody, right? Somebody who is obviously many years her her senior. And um, and then of course, the person was really nice and oh, okay, that's very interesting, you know, just kind of left it there. They weren't gonna argue with her. And she thought she had, you know, kind of won this argument, whatever. And then it was like, I don't know, like a year or two later when she realized, oh shit, you know, I, I was totally made an ass of myself. And this could have been very bad. <laughs> and, you know, thank goodness the person didn't make a big deal of it, but it was like something that even years later she'd like wake up in the middle of the night thinking about right and I'm sure there's all those kind of things that you know because I know I do that too I'll, I'll think yeah, of something yeah. that I said to somebody 20 years ago and oh, whatever god, like oh my
0: god what Ten, but, 20 year, 10 20 years ago fuck like two years ago <laughs> days, two days <laughs> well maybe true. two, I two mean, hours I, you know. ago I, I told the guy at the fighter <laughs> store to go fuck himself <laughs> you know <laughs> some guy was like behind me in a mask just saying like messed up shit i'm like dude just go fuck yourself it's like <laughs> don't like sit there you know <laughs> yeah, i don't People know. i are mean losing but we all we
1: here. all have done stuff you know that like yeah. you know that we're not necessarily proud of the dude i toured now... in a celtic
0: band for five years i know like, <laughs> <laughs> like 200 shows a year yeah yeah plenty of opportunity to fuck up right? And,
1: um, oh, yeah. you know, but the difference now is that everything is recorded, you know, for the most part. This is all happening online. yeah. And for the most part, that's not going away. You know, there is some stuff that does get lost. You know, the internet doesn't record everything all the time. There are, there are
0: ways to get, you know, to get things taken down, I
1: suppose. Oh, there's tons um, of stuff I put up
0: in the early days when I was writing HTML, like in 2005, six, seven, eight, Oh yeah, And I can't find that stuff at all. Like I don't have it on, uh, you know, I lost the drive or whatever and, you know, didn't, it's gone. It's gone. Wow. And there's nothing uh, on like, like I had like poems of poetries on some HTML sites I handmade and they're all gone. Like, I'm like, shit, oh, why wow. did I just, why are the, uh, I guess, you know, the other copies got stolen and I thought it had a backup, but they're gone. They're just gone. Oh,
1: wow. Yeah. So some, some stuff goes, but um, yeah, I'm amazed what things don't find their way onto the, onto the, the, the way back machine, you know, the internet archive, but there's yeah. a lot there. I mean, there's like stuff on, you know, early days of my website, fairywolf.com, you know, and I'm just like, Oh man, really? That's still there. You know um, e- even just talking about like the graphics and everything. I'm like, Oh man, that was so early internet days. You know um, I started my website in 99 you know, and wow. it's, it is bad. It's even today it's in bad need. It hasn't been updated in years. I need to get somebody on that, you know,
0: pretty quick, but, um, I was in yeah, 99, I was working on a 786.
1: I, I don't even know what that is. It's 46, <laughs>
0: 786 Pentium. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. You know, leisure suit Larry days.
1: <laughs> right on. Totally.
0: Yeah. I, um, um, I, I, I
1: started the website just because I realized that um, I wasn't sharing my art or my, my poetry because I was scared of being judged. And then when I realized that, you know, this was three, three years into my formal fairy training. I actually tried to do fairy training twice, you know, first started in 92 and then it didn't quite work out. And then I found another teacher in 94. And so um,
0: and then in 99, 90- after being- was the year i memorized the longest version i could find of child's ballads version of tamlin oh nice and that's a good. so while you were doing that i was like sitting in in a car in north vancouver memorizing that ballad waiting for interview with the vampires late showing oh my goodness after i'd seen the early showing back in the day so yeah um what do you think what do you consider the fairies and fairy realm to sort of be? Do you think of, like, I tend to think of things often, like it's not either in the tree of life terminology or in the terminology of the folklore and mythology of the country I'm focused on. So for me, that's mostly Ireland, Scotland, the Gaelic countries, uh, you know, Isle of Man. Um, John Michael Greer has the Welsh and Brythonic stuff covered. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's got that one good for him I'm very glad because that's not my cup of tea but you know who doesn't love Taliesin right um what are the fairies to you what is the fairy realm to you where do you see it as existing um you you mentioned it but I wonder if you could say more and then I'd like you to maybe give your take on the errors of the Wiccan Reed and the threefold law and get into like what really is uh yeah, if we could talk about like the, you know, the hexing aspect, the hexing yeah. aspect of, of magic.
1: Sure, yeah. Well, first I kinda, again, I feel like, you know, to define what, what fairy is, um, is it, at the very least an uphill battle. Um, I don't think we can ultimately define it because it is so slippery. You know, it, it's, it's kind of the color that runs outside the line, you know, to some degree. In my experience, it is very nebulous. But if I want to try to like pin it down in maybe even like pseudoscientific, you know, terminology, I might think of them as ultra terrestrials, you know, in the sense that, you know, they are inhabitants of the earth, you know, but outside of normal human perception. And I also think that they have a particular relationship to the human soul. You know, because if you look at um, some of the old folklore, there was very little distinction between, you know, a fairy in an encounter with a fairy being and an encounter with a ghost or, or, or the spirit of a dead person. In fact, a lot of times you'll see the fairies described, um, you'll hear them described as like, you know, oh, the fair ones, or, you know, sometimes the white ones. And, um, but they're not talking about like white, like I'm white, you know, whatever, which is basically a shade of pink. Um, they're talking about like <laughs> white, like a corpse. Right. And, and there are, there are um, stories yeah. of somebody having this fairy encounter, Oh, this fairy woman. And then later the person say, wait a minute, though, you're actually, you know, Susie or whatever, you know, from the next parish over, you know, who died, you know, two months ago, right? So there's actually a lot of stories like that where, you know, you're interacting with a fairy being, but then you realize, oh, you were actually a living human being at one point and, 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 and you died. There is this idea that perhaps, and it depends on your point of view, obviously, but, you know, um, the idea that fairies might be the souls of the pagan dead, you know, and I don't, I don't, I'm not even going to put that fine a point on it, you know, the, just the pagan dead, I don't necessarily know, but it kind of does feel to me that there is, there is a cyclical relationship, you know, between humanity and what we perceive as the fey. Um, and there's a lot of different types of beings that I think fall under that fairy umbrella, you know, um, I've had encounters with beings that I have felt, kind of felt like they were almost like angels you know in in my first book which was self-published the stars within the earth I have a poem about a basically a sleep paralysis experience that I had you know once where these two seemingly weird like weird angelic beings I, I don't know why I felt that they were angelic you know it's not like they showed up with like you know stereotypical wings or you know any any of that nonsense you know but um but there was something about them that identified as angelic, but also identified as something dark. And so in my, my, my gut instinct definition of them at the time was they were these dark angelic beings um, that I then recognized were Fae on some level. And in this particular experience, um, I felt that they were brother and sister. You know, the the, the, the sister was Um, slightly shorter than the brother. They both had beautiful golden um, blonde hair that was kind of curly, and they were dressed in these, like, flowing white robes, almost like something you'd expect out of, like, Greco-Roman, you know, something, but they were also, the robes were ridiculously long, like, it wasn't physically viable that they were, like, walking around in this, because it was, like, I don't know, reminding me of like, almost like Lady Diana's wedding train. You know, it was like so ridiculously long, like hanging out the door or whatever. It's like, how did you even get in here? And they had weird eyes. I remember that their eyes were much larger than a human. Yeah. And so they kind of had that almost alien, yeah, you know, kind of
0: feel. And now a word from our sponsors. uh, was 2020, October 2020. Did a whole month work leading up to Samhain. And Samhain and I did a sunset to sunrise ritual on five grams of mushrooms, regimented ritual work the entire time using different scrying devices, doing different summonings, and everything looked physical on the shroom. Yeah. And yeah. Mid-Ear, when he showed up, had massive, crazy eyes yeah and i was seeing with this with my eyes open on shrooms because i before that hadn't actually done enough entheogenic experiments ritually with psilocybin to test these things out and to see if it just sort of activated my imagination through trip and have it you know trippiness and a fantasy or if it really lined up with what i was i, I experience, was experiencing magically and creating with my tools like you know i pulled out all the stops all the golden dawn toys that uh that are so powerful especially doing entheogenic work where the golden da- the colored of the colors in the golden dawn are very powerful um, mm-hmm. on the astral plane in the golden dawn we don't actually believe colors represent symbols we believe they or don't represent energies we believe they are energies mm-hmm. and uh, it really lines up with the rudolf steiner education i had i think there's a lot of truth in that that plays out in in uh entheogenic and psilocybin ritual work. But yeah, I'm yeah. S- the hearing you actually describe working as uh, seeing a fairy the way I actually in a major operation saw a fairy king. I worked with him that whole year, put out the invocation that I co-wrote with W.B. 8s you know, when we both nice. had some spare yeah. time when he was not like in his afterlife tryst with Maud <laughs> Gone. <laughs> um and uh yeah, yeah um this year i'm working with a the next of the directional fairy kings of ireland so they're interesting right because nice. they came to the shores as Tua a in the boats through the mist to fight the four and then the firbolg but then the celts came and they went under the hills and became fairies so they're gods who became fairies so what are they
1: yeah exactly Fricky. it's it becomes very this is where um, folklore becomes it's very crucial. nebulous right right and yeah. um And that's, you know, that's another thing, like, we're going back to our conversation of, um, you know, like, what are gods, you know, you know, we have this idea a lot of times. Sorry, my little dog is like, decided he has to go. So I'm going to like, let him out really quick. Yeah, Uh, okay.
0: um, (sighs) Bye, little dog. No problem. I'll pause there. I won't pause it. Pause it. I'm back. That was fast. No, I was just
1: letting him out of the room. (laughs) It's like, he was just too, I had him on my lap for a while, because... I I don't know if you could hear him tip, tip, tip and cross my floor. But um, yeah, I I lost my train of thought now. Oh, that dog. Um, Yeah, what were you just saying? But I will say, um, because you were just talking about like working with the fairy king and kind of seeing him in that way. And thank you for sending me that invocation. I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet because of course I was in a session right before Make sure,
0: uh, wait till the peak of your gummy. Okay, right on, there you go. Make it full screen put on your best quality headphones and like, Hey, you know, there you go. There
1: you go. Okay. Well, and the sigil, the now.
0: sigil is burn is done by my friend from my D and game, which I play every week uh, by my friend. She's uh, my friend's daughter who plays the game and she's a great graphic artist from a Vancouver film school. And she did the, the artwork and I had her put the sigil drawn from like the golden Dawn Rose cross of mid on the head of the being. So you can literally just watch the video full screen stare at the sigil and actually have a cyber nice. magic experiment and, I, oh, and awesome. I you teach i teach a class every sunday you teach cyber zoom classes to your school of magic and magicians and folklore magi- and folklore so i did not i am very excited to also maybe touch on teaching online cyber magic doing rituals oh, online oh yeah. yeah
1: i i i love it i um i've actually been teaching online um for several several years Um, And when I first started doing it, of course it was in the context originally of um, the fairy tradition. And when I first started doing it, there was a lot of resistance um, from other initiates um, to the idea of doing any sort of long distance training. Who were attending
0: or just like colleagues?
1: No, just people in the community because, you know, um, our, our community has been rather volatile and we don't necessarily get along with one another, um, some of the lineages are actively at war with one another,
0: it's, it's really boring. It's, it's the same Actually. shit we're in my world, bro.
1: It's just, it's, it's absurd, it's absurd. But you know, it's, it's usually based in people, you know, it boils down to the same thing that it always is, it, it's, it's fundamentalism. You know, people decide that the way they did it is the right way. And if you're doing it any different, you must be wrong and you must be stopped. And, um, and it's, it's, it's crazy, man, you know, and, <laughs> and people get really like wrapped up in it. And I've been threatened.
0: <laughs> I have been
1: cyber bullied. You've um, gotten
0: handwritten threats.
1: Handwritten. No, I wouldn't say handwritten. You, I've gotten. You said
0: that on the podcast emails. that people hand wrote. A rant oh,
1: I mean, I've gotten like, yeah, th-
0: honestly, most, of, not necessarily from fairy people. But, I would know, love I've, I've a handwritten had... letter from someone. It doesn't matter what they say. I won't call, <laughs> I won't call the Canadian Tribunal of Human Rights for hate speech. <laughs> write, me a, <laughs> write me a handwritten letter. It's been, I haven't got, I used to write letters all the time to my magical friends, one in New Zealand, one in the wilderness of Canada, my whole teenage years handwritten letters in calligraphy yeah. quoting ginsburg you know making up nicknames for each other like 20 30 40 page nobody, does that, anymore. Yeah. <laughs> nobody does that all the time yeah nobody does anymore they were works of art they were so good that we would read them to our friends at the coffee shop and everyone would just marvel at the quality of the writing and the human stories we told it was like you know the 90s version of the kardashians yeah. but now but
1: now it's just
0: on a you know
1: thumbs up 30 second TikTok or whatever that's you know that's what's taking that place now is you know just everything on social media no i never got like handwritten um, threats from fairy people um because honestly the fairy people wouldn't want to give me samples of their handwriting
0: oh you know so there's that and now, we're, the, back but... and now we're back to black magic And now we're back
1: to so, black magic let's do um... it let's
0: fucking do it
1: all right we got Woo! we got just, i actually love the term hour left. i will say i love the term black magic I know that it gets a lot of um, um, bad rap nowadays because people conflate it with racial issues. And, but I, yeah, that, that's a big thing now. And I'm like, come on, that's not, that's not what we're talking about here.
0: Um,
1: <laughs> the, to me, the idea of like black magic. I thought that was in just terms a joke. Of, no, no, seriously not. In fact, people I've brought it up before. Black I've, magic I've been like, of... I've been shouted down. Like I was teaching an event
0: Um, And
1: I mentioned this great quote, I think it's a great quote from the late Victor Anderson. And um, the quote is, white magic is poetry, black magic is anything that actually works. And I love that quote. And, um, but I mentioned this, and this woman got so bent out of shape, and oh this is racism, and blah blah blah, and I tried to explain, this has nothing to do with like black people. This is, you know, black magic is different. Yes, there has been a racial element for some people because a lot of times white people would look at the spirituality of black and brown people and be scared of it. And then that becomes black magic. But there's a lot more that was black magic than just what black and brown people were doing. You know, it was anything that was hidden. You know, it was anything that, you know, purported to be um, tapping into the hidden secrets of nature and, and trying to manifest our will, you know, sorcery, if, if you will. And um, I think that black magic, like the term black, I see it is very similar to like the term black that we use for the term black hole. You know, it's not, you don't see it directly, it's hidden. It's the hidden nature. It's like the occult, that's what it means. Occult means hidden. Yeah, you know, sure, sure. and and so it's to me, it's the same thing. So black magic is really just it's it's the hidden nature of nature, you know. It, it it is our way of tapping into something that is hidden that that is usually beyond our normal perception, and now we're tapping into that and and hopefully causing change. So I, I actually love the term black magic, the black arts, the dark arts, all of it. It's it's um, a,
0: it's an interesting thing to read your perspectives on. Hexes and, and uh, jinxes and curses. I mean, cause in, in black magic in my tradition means magic designed to hurt someone else, uh, you know, especially yeah. against their will. Um, and I think that is a, it's fair to say that that's a tradi- uh accurate traditional definition. Yeah, I would say I mean, so. I mean, it's very much in line, like the, if we go all the way back, when I was in 2019 doing my European lecture tour I got to go to a lecture at the British library where the scholar on his PhD thesis had studied the addition of this little Assyrian tablet chunk that had gotten discovered and attached to a larger piece that allowed a new interpretation. And it was on the laws about witchcraft and magic and sorcery. And what it clarified was that witchcraft was illegal because it was designed for someone else. Now, of course, it's the Assyrian word for witchcraft, but that's like the closest equivalent we have. Yeah, There's magic designers and it was, It was fascinating to hear because, like, I mean, not only has this stuff been around forever, um, you know, we had a hiccup post-enlightenment, but not that big a hiccup, (laughs) you know. If you actually read all the the grimoires and literature and orders, (laughs) like Rosicrucians that were around that whole period, it's like, oh, no, magic was alive and well. It was just, like, kings and queens and their ministers that were actually doing Like, the guy who ran England for a while, James I, was out of town was the main Enochian practitioner of his day. And he was the military dude who ran England for a while. You know what he was doing every night in the palace.
1: Right, right, right.
0: Right, because he, well, he had all John D stuff. He was the guy yeah. in that period. Well, you think about
1: stuff. those types of magical systems too that, that tend to be on one level, you know, kind of um, complicated and heady and rely on a lot of study and maybe even um, objects that are hard to come by and that's obviously set apart from things that are more like primal or shamanistic you know in nature where you know it's more the land you know and, and working with the land as opposed to you know more mental or, or even celestial you know type of type of magic but they all kind of the the Venn, the Venn diagram is there they all come together mm-hmm. you know at some point the, the center of all magic But magic is pretty diverse. It's as diverse as life. You know, magic is life, you know, to to some degree. And, you know, there's a lot of different life forms on this planet. And, you know, on one level, they would all have their own way of tapping into that mysterious force that that really is the consciousness of the universe, we'll say. You know, if you want to call that God or goddess or whatever, you know, I don't think it matters what we call it.
0: Have you looked at the book of Oberon at all?
1: We have it. I've, yeah. I've like skimmed through it, yeah. you know, but, but it's, it's got like,
0: one of the uh, best overall descriptions of any grimoire, apparently of the demon Kings.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. Who, of
0: course, you know, traditionally you would bind them to yourself in the Abramelin uh, after yeah. contacting your holy garden angel, but in, in the, in the book of magic, which is the proper name for the book of Oberon. Yeah. So what I've been doing with Yeats's Celtic Mysteries is adapting the evocations. There's two of them in there for Oberon. To use them with the Irish gods and fairy kings who are also oh, the, the spirits. Yeah. And that's what I've been working on. I mean, I did the first series, two years of operations from ninety-eight to ninety-nine, and then just you know, here and there over the years. Tantheocon was me announcing it, like kicking it off. Then COVID happened. So it's like no initiations, <laughs> nothing's happened, except yeah. me me uh doing. The writing, uh, you know, if, if like, for, it, I think things are going to change. Uh, England just uh, opened up entirely, like oh, across wow. the board. Oh, yeah, t- COVID's over in England. And like, we're in the Commonwealth. So hopefully that'll change because they have not, I had, uh, I busted ass from November to December to book 24 gigs this year, 300 bucks a gig, 24 gigs. Then the government at Christmas put a new law in canceling all of them, canceling everything, yeah. canceling <clears throat> Christmas, canceling New Year's doesn't matter if your back's run backs, just canceled so yeah hopefully since we're in the commonwealth we'll follow england rather soon and and uh we're like everyone's fucking vaccinated the whole fucking country's vaccinated like america sort of stands out in that in that respect Ugh, but, I know. but i don't know. <laughs> And and i'm not like pro or anti i'm just like i tr- trust your doctor like you know
1: oh yeah definitely I'm, trust, I'm your, trust
0: doctor, your doctor guy you know because there are
1: some I, people that can't for good legitimate reasons you know medical reasons can't get offspring you, so you don't want to fired them, their together. drummer
0: uh, off, the offspring you remember the offspring
1: yeah
0: yeah they had they fired their drummer because he has that one disease that's like absolutely not
1: oh see, like that that's
0: not- uh, i forget the name because it's a really weird name but like he has it and there's yeah. a couple athletes that had it. it's like you you'll die if you get like die right away. and they fired him he had to get fired
1: that's not that's, that sucks yeah that's not cool
0: yeah anyway It's just sad because I know a lot of people
1: will claim that they have, you know, medical stuff when they don't. And so it's like ruining it for everybody. It's kind of like the people that have like, they have like a service dog, right? And it's not, it's like, that is not a service dog. You're ruining it for the people that actually need a service dog, right? That was another thing at PantheaCon that, that actually kind of annoyed me was people showing up with fake service dogs. And um, some of you out there might know who I'm talking about, but there, there was a couple of people in particular that showed up with their dogs and uh, with a little vest on and everything. it's like, that is not a service dog. You can tell by how it's acting, that it's not trained, and that it's not a good thing. And you know, I don't know why I'm talking about service dogs now. See, Pisces brain, woo. So but, um...
0: <laughs> one of the reasons I think I had no problem taking a vow when I was initiated into the Golden Dawn against doing magic to hurt people was because mm-hmm. of, you know, reading the witch's Bible complete because of Gavin and Yvonne Frost, Scott Cunningham, all those people, you know, brainwashing me with the Wiccan read. Right. Earl Gardner, Alexanders. I read everything. There wasn't, you could read everything pretty quickly actually in those days, like literally. Oh like yeah, totally. You had like, there wasn't you know, that much a parent who was guilty from getting a divorce. You were good. You got all the books you wanted. and and it didn't take that long to read them all which is why you know i ended up having to bite the bullet and join a group even though i very well knew the problems that would come with human interaction for lack of a better word like people it's people right like we learn in kindergarten that shit's a little fucked up (laughs) (laughs) preschool um so yeah uh you could get through all of that literature rather quickly in those days what was the yeah. point of that what we were saying
1: but they were but the thing with like you were mentioning like the threefold law and like yes and read that was drilled and, you know,
0: into me and your book is the and i always suspected i always felt it was fishy but because i then you know at 16 joined the golden dawn i sort of stopped reading wicca stuff like you know right. i still bought scott cunningham's book on Huna on kahuna and you know i would read the odd book like gavin and Fran frost to this day are the Changed my life with astral travel. Like, it, it, I can't believe it. Like, you know, I don't limit myself when it comes to the mastery of magic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I love Voodoo, you know, Voodoo, but you were the first one I'd ever read. Maybe I've been out of touch to sit to sort of discount this Wiccan read and the Law of Three and the, the, this will come back to you threefold. And you, mm. yeah.
1: Well, that's, thank you. I, um, well, I I so you did the I research. Can't imagine, I, I can't imagine I'd be the first person to, to say that and even in no. like a modern
0: witchcraft sense. I'm just um, saying I've been out of touch. So that's this is the right. first time I've encountered it. Um
1: yeah, well, you know, I will say that in terms of my training in the fairy tradition, that was very clear that in fairy we didn't subscribe to the Wiccan read because we didn't see ourselves as Wiccan. And this this gets into how are we defining this? Because I know the academic definition of wicca encapsulates all of the modern craft movement you know and that's how the word is used in academia you know wicca is not just the initiatory path of wicca which is basically gardnerian alexandrian and its offshoots but on 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 an academic sense wicca is all of modern witchcraft okay i you know i don't feel i don't really agree you know with that i do feel like wicca is wicca And obviously there's, There's to use a broad brush, there would be like two basic forms of Wicca, right? There'd be like traditional initiatory Wicca, um, which is alive and well, despite what people may claim on the internet. I I keep hearing people say, well, you don't want this to happen to, you know, just like it happened to Wicca, you know, Wicca got ruined. No, Wicca did not get ruined. It still exists. It's still there. You know, calm your tits. It's fine. Um, there's also public Wicca, which is more eclectic. And, um, and I, I think that has a lot to offer too, you know, but, but you're right. So with the threefold law, um, that was not something that's part of the fairy tradition really at all. Um, and when I say that, I wanna be careful because anybody in fairy can adopt whatever they want, you know, whatever. And so I know that there's at least one lineage that is of fairy tradition that does use the threefold law um how do i know this because this person tried to get me to agree to use the threefold law in 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 my stuff i was like why do you even care i don't believe in it
0: do you want to describe the threefold law to uh all the um uh ceremonial magicians well i'll I'll do i'll (laughs) do
1: my best let me talk about for all
0: those ones who forgot
1: there's i want to say when we say the threefold law there's really two different things that are that are being talked about and um there is the idea that everything you do, whether it's good or bad, is going to go out there in the world, and then it's going to come back on you times three, right? That's the public pop culture understanding, I would say, of of the threefold law, you know, which I don't agree with because in that regard, I agree with Newtonian law. You know, everything has an equal and opposite reaction, right? Um, But from what I've heard from my Gardnerian friends is that's not exactly what the threefold law is supposed to be talking about. Now, not being Gardnerian, I can't really speak to that directly, but what I can gather, what I assume based on conversations is that the real meaning of the threefold law is that it's going to, whatever you put out in the universe is going to affect you on three different levels. And that might be, mean um, body, mind, and spirit. Um, If I was to adopt that into a more fairy tradition, witchcraft understanding, um, we work with a model called the three souls. And so I might then say, oh, yeah, everything I put out in the world is going to affect my three souls, you know. okay, I could accept that. But the idea that I'm putting energy out in the world and somehow it's being magnified 300 percent and uh, coming back to me is frankly absurd. Yeah. Um, But I also think that it served a point in, in modern witchcraft history toward making witchcraft more palatable to the masses in terms of not being afraid of witches because if people were afraid of witches, they were more likely to persecute and you know, hurt witches.
0: Yeah, it seems when- like you believe that in fact, point of fact to call it like it is that 20th century witchcraft authors sometimes flat out lied in the form of yeah. just for protection. and ca- I think you know, that's you know. true.
1: Yeah. I, th- I think sometimes it was lying. I think sometimes it was them believing it because their own teachers taught them that. And so they had no reason to disbelieve it. Um, but I feel the same way. The same thing was present in views of sexuality. You know, when I was a kid and i was first reading books on the craft i remember reading a witch's bible complete and them just asserting that you know oh, witches witches don't do orgies you know we don't do this we're accused of all this stuff we're accused of having you know wanton sex and you know you know sex parties and all this stuff and we don't do that you know and they were very prim and proper and how they um said they would do even like with sex in magic, like in was, like
0: some big grove with an owl statue <laughs> right there, you go. You're talking about like the the Bohemian Grove. There you They're go. Like you you dirty wiccans, and they've been doing yeah. it since Mark Twain,
1: <laughs> right? I know, right? But part uh, of that you could dirty be also Christians. that that's how they were taught,
0: you know. So so
1: the whole thing of oh yes, well in in the case where we're actually going to do like you know the sacred marriage, you know the 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 great rite, you know where the the priest and the priestess, you know, have ritual sex. In, in those books, they would talk about, yes, they're gonna do that, but they're gonna do that privately in the other room, you know. Um, or at the, 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 the most scandalous I would get from the books of the time was somebody, I can't remember what book it was, but the, the priest and the priestess w- apparently were described as having sex in the middle of the circle, but everyone turned their backs. So no one was watching them and somehow that was supposed to make it better or make it less scandalous, or whatever. Yeah, and I'm like that's just somebody's kink right there. I don't know. That's just you know. That's what's yeah. Going I've right.
0: never done anything like that in any ritual or magical setting at all, like at all, outside of like Pantheacon. <laughs> okay. Pantheacon was rife
1: with that, right? <laughs> um, I, I mean, I have. I've, I've certainly worked sex magic in different ways. Um, I talk about that quite frankly in my upcoming book, The Seder's Kiss, um, where I, I do talk about. Um, um, sex magic rituals that involve either just individual or couples or groups, and, and I thought that that was important to put out there because this stuff exists, it's real, and I also know other groups do that, you know, I, I have a very limited connection to, um, a, a tradition called the Minoan Brotherhood, and, um, from my limited exposure there, I mean, there's a lot of sex magic that happens, even group sex magic, you know, and there is an established tradition, Um, that has been around for, you know, longer than I've been alive, you know, and, um, you know, so these things happen, but people don't really talk about it. When they talk about it, they like to kind of whitewash it. And that's what I felt, even as a kid reading these books, Um, I thought, no, there's something else, because I just instinctively knew, even before I was sexually active, that that sexuality was so powerful, you know, and there was something about the carnality of the craft, that was so potent yeah. and necessary and yet the books at the time really downplayed that even if they discussed it at all which usually wasn't it was all very whitewashed and and made prim and proper and i think it was for public consumption you know because you know most people wouldn't have been able to really accept that you know at the time um but i'd like to think that we're living in a space now and a time now where we can be more um frank about what we're doing and what we think is important um and that's why i wrote the Seder's kiss because i felt that there needed to be something out there that actually affirmed this that was like no we're gonna do this and yeah it's hot we're gonna have hot sex and that doesn't mean it's any less important or spiritual or magical we can have hot spiritual magical sex we can have hot spiritual magical group sex and that's okay and and if you don't want to that's okay too and so here is alternatives here's how you can do these things in a non-sexual way right so i wanted that to be out there i didn't want to force sexuality on anybody but i wanted to provide an opportunity for people to incorporate their full sexual being into their craft because we shouldn't be holding anything back you know from our magical work we need to just put ourselves fully in in our work and if it's sexy and hot that's great if it's if it's silly and ridiculous that's (laughs) great too sometimes both together that's fine we can have hot silly ridiculous sex and that's okay that's magical too um but again the books at the time I think we're more focused on how do we get the public to
0: not be scared of us
1: and this is also one of the reasons why I think that like
0: well, it's um, still a struggle today. Like you know, it's still a know, struggle like, today. If you can be in a university and be like, "Well, I'm into Reiki," but if you're like, "I'm a Solomonic magician," like you yeah. might not get tenure. Let's be honest.
1: No, I hear you. I, 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 no it's it's saying strange we're how we're like only that.
0: selectively tolerant. <laughs> it's kind of like it's actually kind right. of parallel in a weird way to the the whole Asian thing of the universities <laughs> right now. You know, it's like that's a problem because they're like they're actually discriminating against for being better than everyone else you must oh, know so about I, that i, I don't oh, know you don't know about the no. harvard harvard not admitting asians oh my god it's crazy No. oh 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 dude <laughs> sorry oh my god no <laughs> Oh, I it's have crazy no, i've never heard of that oh you don't even know that's we're all in bubbles that's these days up. hey yeah so like yeah because they're like they're not counted as as um as people of color because their stats are too high across the board so they're actually let in less than whites and people what? of color and anyone. What? They're they're the bottom of the rung for getting in. Oh my gosh! Because if the, if it was pure meritocratically, it would be like all Asians. <laughs> <laughs> wow! They just work harder than all of us. I'm.
1: I'm both surprised and not surprised at the same time. I'm, I'm right? slightly, it's, it's terrible.
0: It's, it's not even really an exaggeration. It's like, check it out. It's pretty fucking crazy, especially.
1: Oh, man.
0: That is just I was not expecting that. But. I know. Yeah. I, I'm so I'm so happy. It's sort of funny. I it's it's trippy for me. Well, I guess I'm so in the university world, um, but but not everyone is. Right. So, yeah, that's like a thing. <laughs>
1: holy i feel so bad for them because
0: there's like they're working. i know what it is to study my ass off and do really well so like if someone's doing like the best and to know that they're held back because they're doing the best that just that's gotta hurt that's gotta suck so that is like uh, as
1: if our society was fucked up enough you know
0: you know who did a good bit on that was hassan minaj on netflix actually in his little comedy social issue show he got, he got, his show is super successful and he's an Indian comedian, right? Hassan mm-hmm. Minaj. Oh, his thing, Homecoming, his special Homecoming King is one of like the finest performances of anything on stage I've ever seen. Oh, wow. Oh yeah. Amazing. And his show after like, what, even though it was skyrocketing in popularity, got taken down after he did a scathing bit on, on Saudi Arabia. <laughs> oh man. So of course, like, you know, you can't, you can't attack Saudi Arabia if you're in the US, like,
1: yeah, you're, you're
0: canceled, <laughs> you're canceled. Don't you know that? Don't you know that? It's like the most open secret in the world.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, gosh, I would I kind of I suspected that just it's after like, 9-11 when it was like, hello, they're the ones that attacked <laughs> us. So we're gonna attack somebody else. We're not actually gonna address the problem. We're gonna turn over here and attack. Somebody I was else. watching like, the okay. towers fall
0: 8am at Corpus Christi College. And then it was like, let's attack Iraq. And it was like, what is going on? And, and that's yeah. when I started like con- reconsidering like the holographic universe and simulation theory and, and all that sort of stuff. I started being open to things still took me a few years. I was 24 before I took my first toke of weed and 30 before I, ex- or 25 before I explored psychedelics in Ireland and, and got into the entheogenic realms, but like our reality brother it is uh it is not what we think it is um and and that's probably because we see less than five percent of it right and that's why there's fairy realms like the the she and, and uh right and these yeah. realms can can you maybe um we don't have much time left and uh uh i appreciate you coming on but maybe we can just bang a few things out of the park um yeah absolutely talk about your perspective because i obviously i have a lot of listeners who are in love with everything we're talking about what would you say is um oh your favorite technique for for uh entering the fairy realm
1: my favorite technique for and, entering the fairy realm um well one of my early techniques that i think you is you have a lot really of effective. Inner books
0: there's like your book is chock full of of, of techniques thank
1: you yeah, yeah you try really to make it practical it. Yeah. Instead of just, you know, me talking about stuff and not, you know,
0: it's a perfect balance through. Thank and, you. And thank with, you. A, it's got a lot of meat, a lot of meat.
1: Thank you. Oh, thank you. That's just, wow. That's a lot of good vibes. I really, I really appreciate it. <laughs> it was, um, I loved working on the book. And, um, yeah, one of my favorite techniques that really anybody can do, and this was something that was part of my fairy witchcraft training, um, was we actually went to, um, a park, not like a little suburban park, but we went to like Tilden Park, which is in Berkeley. And it's, you know, a lot of trees. And you can, you can feel like you're getting away from people, right? It's, it's out of, you know, where people are living and, and all that. So it's a little bit more, there's wildlife and, you know, and everything. So the technique was to go to some wildish place and um, before sunset, and then to find a place where you could like sit maybe at the base of a tree and away from people. So, and there's, sh- you shouldn't hear people. You shouldn't see people and you're just going to sit there and you're just going to be quiet while the sun is setting. And the idea is if you're totally quiet, you're not listening to music, you're not listening to podcasts, you know, anything, you're just listening to the sound of the woods and you're allowing yourself just over time to slowly slip into trance and it kind of matches the sun as the sun is creeping down underneath the the horizon our consciousness will match you know and so it's we our consciousness starts to set like the sun and we start going down within and then after it's dark you know then we just have this period where we're sitting in darkness in the woods and we're just being very open, very sensitive to what we're hearing, you know, paying attention to the sound of the breeze moving through the trees, through cracking twigs, maybe animals, you know, um, you know, moving around. And this, I have found, is a really simple way of allowing our consciousness just to make that shift into being able to start to perceive what we might think of as, quote unquote, the other world. And this is where, you might start to, um,
0: do you think like it's the same before, as the
1: astral plane? I don't know. I, I, here's the thing I do. And tough, I don't.
0: Right, it's tough right? And, um,
1: because it is tough because again, people have different definitions for what those mean. And I'm, I will admit I'm fairly loose with them because it's a mystery to me and I'm not ever going to claim. I know all the answers, right? I, I'm going to share what my experience is and what I believe based on my experience, you know, but I think that's what everybody needs to do. You Life know, is more fun determine... when you lose. It's more fun when you are lose. Exactly. Yeah, that's true, though. Um, it's, it's certainly more effective. You know, um, you are able to let go of what you believed to be true, and now you're simply in the full presence of whatever the experience actually is. Now, after the experience is over, you could judge it till the cows come home and try to define it and, and all of that. Um, but while you're having the experience, hopefully we're not engaging through that ego mind. You know, just let it happen. One of the things that we talk about in um, our Black Rose Witchcraft course is that um, we do work with you know, gods. We actually work with um, the text of um, uh, Leland Aradia um, as kind of our sacred text, you know, for that um, particular course. Um, but one of the things that I say is it's important to approach the gods as a capital M mystery, and so that that means even if you think you know what the nature of the gods is, um, it's important while you're having these particular experiences, at least in the context of this course, to let all that just fly out the window, you know. So while you're having the experience with this this being. Um, try not to think about what they are. Try not to define them in the moment. Just allow the experience to happen. Surrender to it. Allow it to to move through you and see how it feels. And then when you're done, you come back to normal consciousness. You could judge it. You could define it, you know, all you want to. But if you're in the moment, having that experience and you're not trying to define it in the moment, you're much more likely to have a a fuller, richer experience. And it's far more likely to teach you something surprising because if we think we know all the answers, we go into it thinking, we know, all the answers, then you're not going to find anything because you're closed off.
0: Yeah. It really is that important to allow uh, ourselves to interact with spirits through every aspect of our consciousness and reality, isn't it? Yeah, like we—it's so Absolutely. easy to think that I need to hear or see or feel them, whereas, you know, they'll talk to you after, especially after you contact them, in a strong, impotent way. They might show up and interact with you, or the the things they've said might sort of seep in later. It feels like sometimes, mm-hmm. you know,
1: or if we're doing, like, you know, let's say we're doing a ritual to contact a particular being. We might do the ritual successfully. We might even feel that their presence was there, but maybe we don't get the quote unquote answers that we wanted in the moment. Oh yeah, the first time
0: I evoked Midir, he was not happy. And like, (laughs) I kept him there for hours and hours just to get him to transmit a sigil by which I could communicate with him more easily next time. But he was not pleased. He was pissed off like the whole time. Oh wow. And sometimes sort of just like thought it was funny, but it's like, you know, I kept trying to ask questions do some automatic writing as well. And I was having a full visual manifestational experience after it was, you know, the first operation itself was just five. And then a few weeks later I did 12 and, and we haven't stopped as you can see from the YouTube video. (laughs) Even one night I got stoned and made a little YouTube video with some psychedelic color changes. And I tweaked the vocal. I I like to show people invocations just straight, just like a good quality mic. And just, this is how it is naturally because I nice. think there's a lot to hearing it raw, yeah. right? But yeah. you know, if you're stoned some night, never hurts to break out the multi-track, do some mixing, throw on some verbs and, and compression. There you go. And then put a little psychedelic video behind it, right? Um, hey, it's a, it's a, it's a fun well, thing. There,
1: there's on. also that, that part of, you know, a good ritual often has an element of the dramatic, you know, because Crucial. it is about That's how we're they,
0: feeling. It's why they're called psychodramas. You know?
1: Right. Exactly. You know, the, you know, it's about opening up your senses, yeah. you know, and, and allowing yourself to become affected, you know, but we spend so much time in normal waking consciousness, trying desperately to be unaffected by the world, even though we still are, but we're trying so hard it's like, we're white knuckling our way through yeah. the ritual is important because it can help us to, to, to let go and letting go is not an easy thing. Anyone who's done any of those silly corporate bonding experiences as exercises you know there's a whole thing about like you hold on to the pencil when you make a fist hey man and you count for a minute right and I, then you go to let go and you can't let go right because well, letting go is hard
0: it is hard it is very hard yeah um you know there's a uh some there's a movement in grimoire magicians these days um where some of them like adley nichols are um purposefully not going in into any trance states leaving their like room lights on and everything and just calling the spirits to the extent that like just and they're letting their critical mind go i've you know like people are like oh but you're 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 still focusing your mind and hushing your critical mind like no no i let it just go i want to see if the spirits show up in all of that full thing and you know so as a result it seems like they're getting some very um physical and radical appearances and manifestations though often though yeah it's it's a fun idea it's like actually why not why not? You know, especially um with Solomonic magic, if you're observing purification times and doing everything properly, it's a powerful that's a powerful sympathy, right? Like that's yeah, you know, that's that's uh, inclined to make things happen. I mean, we've all, seen, I, all seen stuff. I, I,
1: I can see where there might be like a, a prejudice against that idea because of course it goes against like what people have often been taught, you know. Um I will admit, you know, I I prefer like I, I want to go in my dark room. I want to light a candle, oh yeah, you know, whatever, and it makes it just it sets the stage, right? But that doesn't necessarily mean that that's the right way to do it. You know, we we touched on like cyber magic and teaching long distance earlier, and we oh, didn't yeah. really get into it. But I wanted to say that I didn't think that that was something that was viable. I didn't think it was I viable.
0: Did it. We did we tried it out one time, and and Sean was in the class, and we did an, I did a basic heptarchial. Uh, evocation Enochian operation and it was so powerful afterwards universally everyone was like oh yeah we're going to keep doing this this is crazy yeah. like it's yeah. definitely not the same as being in person but it's definitely not nothing it's actually quite a lot so. right
1: it's not the same but it's not even necessarily less than it's just it's different. different there are some things that are hard to approximate you know whatever but you can make adjustments but my first experience was I was invited to a teleconference ritual, like on the phone. And, um, and I thought, oh, what a lark, I'll do it, right? And which was kind of hubris on, on, on my end. And um, luckily I didn't say anything to that effect, but I, I went there and I just thought, oh, this would be funny. And then when the ritual started, I felt it. And pretty much just the same as if the circle was being cast in my room you know, physically, I was like, I feel this, it shifted my consciousness in the way it needed to happen. And so that's what taught me, oh, this can be done long distance. And so fairly early on, I started um, experimenting with teaching the fairy tradition long distance. And in those days, I used Skype. And, um, and what I realized was, we still can have a shared space together. It's just that that space is not physical. Mm -hmm. And if, if we claim to believe in the magic that we do, if 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 I believe that I can cast a spell that could potentially alter the world or change something in, in the manifest world, why would I then think that doing a class over Skype or now Zoom, you know, would automatically be ineffective? You know, yeah. I think the resistance I got was simply people hadn't considered it before. Yeah. And people often will consider that their learned experience is the baseline you know, for everybody else. But I got a lot of flack, I got a lot of resistance to it. But I've been doing it for years. So when COVID happened, you I had already know. been doing this oh, for several lucky. years. Yeah. And so I didn't have to do any adjustments. It was just that's, for me, it's normal.
0: I didn't even have the guts to try it for the first year of COVID. and I'm glad I did. Yeah, I think the way to think about it, I've learned from doing it now every month with my weekly class is, uh, and we do we do either basically a purist, like, John D style, just Christian prayers, no LBRP, no banishing rituals, nothing like that. Just all of these prayers, the conjuration, the Enochian calls, and then the the con the operation. And we do that or we do Celtic fairies. It's a very <laughs> interesting like mix. <laughs> That's, <yeah. laughs> That's We're gonna awesome. get we're gonna get into it. some shem angels this year, but but yeah, it's like, hey, it's a good, it's a good mix. That's a good, you know, you can't really go. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> it's been such an That's honor awesome. having you on, brother. I'm so glad. I'm so glad that we didn't get to any of my questions. Everything we <laughs> talked about was way more interesting than my my questions. Um, though uh, the quotes in your books I had I marked are excellent. People should just buy your book. They should just go get your book. And I betwixt in between is the first one if you're a beginner. And does the code yes. magis does the code magister still work? Yes. So, yes. so, so you can get a month free at your online school of witchcraft and wizardry using the code <laughs> Magister. <laughs> you can. Yeah. You if you go to modern
1: yeah, go go to modernwitchuniversity.com. And um, that's where we house all of our online classes. But the big one, our big class is Black Rose Witchcraft, and that is roughly a year. Um, you it could be longer because it's it's self-paced, but it won't be less than a year how it works is every, every seven days, the next lesson will unlock and there's 52 lessons. And we also have a very active Discord server. And so you would get the, the invite and the passwords for that, you know, in your first lesson. Um, and then, so we've got a, um, close to 250 people on the Discord server who are, you know, at various stages in the course. And we've got um, people who have been initiated and are now serving as
0: mentors, you know. there's There's a lot going on. You've had like close to a thousand people go through your school so far, eh?
1: Yeah, so Black Rose alone has had about 750 people, you know, who have signed up. And that's, not all of them have completed the course. I do find that some people realize, oh, this is actually work. Yeah. you know this isn't just oh i get a lesson and i get to put this in my book of shadows oh, and not worry about it don't get me started. there's there's work involved and then you have to share what your experience was and yeah in order to in order to get the initiation if, which is if basically you don't do the stuff in
0: between the classes uh it's just not gonna work nothing's gonna yeah you know, it just but, won't work uh, you'll
1: get out of it what you put in
0: yeah. you know and that's
1: just that's how life works and that's like any relationship. How the craft works
0: exactly yeah, yeah. like
1: any relationship you know if, if you show up and do the work then the work will work on you, and that's what it's about. It's not about just accumulating knowledge, it's about lived experience. You know, accumulating yeah. knowledge, whatever, there's books for that, and you can read books, but a book isn't going to initiate you into the craft. It could give you the steps that you
0: need in order to maybe do those things on your own,
1: you know. Yeah. Um,
0: you know, my, but my dear friend, it's not who, the same. My dear friend who took me to the Pantheon was Marilyn Motherbear. she's who's you know bffs with oberon and that whole crew up the mountain um yeah 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 yeah, you know um and she would always say to me she's she was 82 then and and uh she's older now but she would always say the mystery is the experience and it's true i like the greek mysterion this idea it's just something you participate in it and uh yeah right yeah Yeah, she was the one who ordained me at isis with a high arch priestess victor if you ever met granny rainbow over the years
1: Oh, I haven't, but yeah. um, that sounds delightful.
0: Can I um, leave you but... with one little th- fun thing? So in grade eight, we did Macbeth and you could write your favorite three picks. And I wrote which one, which two, which three, because I was deep into Cunningham as well <laughs> as Don Craig's modern magic. And the teacher said no and denied all three of my topics. I said, why? She's like, because witches are only girls. Ah. And so she cast me as Hecate. Huh? okay I, I thought you'd appreciate that little story i i, do I don't know understand that but that's that is crazy to me i As mean result, first of all i got to experience my first accidental god form on stage there you go well there's and that channeling, channeling accidental know. god form yeah. but, but also don't you love like, it don't you love it that's weird world school logic for you gender like forcing yeah. gender roles you know it was the we need to be done with that we need to be done with that you can't be a witch because you're not a girl but you can be a goddess it was so confusing no wonder i turned out this way you can be it all
1: have it all
0: man hey i (laughs) i would have asked to be Hecate if i thought they'd cast me as a goddess but macbeth was played by a girl and i played Hecate. maybe we were just actually ahead of our time i don't even understand advanced that's, ahead of their time
1: there you go Total i, I got but that's so weird about the you can't be the witch though
0: I'm like yeah i know
1: literally weren't they described as having beards too <laughs>
0: i'm like come on <laughs> i mean i didn't have one when i was 13 but anyway thank you so much for coming on this has been a real treat i hope we can talk again um, oh absolutely uh, thank you so much uh, for inviting me yeah i know it's I've just had a blast been, uh, awesome Thanks so much, Storm. And oh, my uh, pleasure. My uh, best wishes to your husband and to Devon and to Matt. And uh, you know, maybe we'll do a roundtable sometime in, in the That would be cool to talk about. Maybe I don't know psychism in an in-depth way. There's not oh, enough neat. of that out there, I think. You know.
1: Yeah, I agree, and I think that's you why know? also Matt's book has done so well. Is it really hit that that sweet spot? You know, you know that's so necessary. You I love the out psychic with, development end of things I think is so necessary.
0: I think I really I got a lot from the books that were around when I was young, but I got so much out of the Golden Dawn training and to see Matt put out a book that brings a, what I consider equivalent to like Golden Dawn psychic development techniques to the general public in a in a more friendly way that's less, you know, Golden dog. Yeah. <laughs> it is well, that's it awesome it is. It is un- I right? I think it's it's that's why I, that's why I have it, that's why I recommend it. So blessings that's to all awesome. of you. Thank you. I will certainly let him know
1: too. That's that's high praise. Thank you. Anyway. All right, well hit record.
0: Stop. Hermetic Science Enterprises is a publishing company based in Scotland, UK that specializes in Western esoteric printed literature as well as educational videos. With various imprints under its belt, its roster consists of grimoire tradition literature, alchemical works, golden dawn tradition books, and the several texts and videos originally belonging to the philosophers of nature. Besides its downloadable videos and standard hardcover edition books, Hermetic Science Enterprises also produces beautiful and precious limited fine edition books that are true pieces of art. For more information to order any of its products, please visit wwwhermetic science That's hermetic-science-enterprises.co.uk. And as a lot of you know, I've uh, talked with the publisher Lenny on the podcast before, including a six-hour epic uh, extended version on the Patreon, and uh seen the fine edition of his new grimoire of scott's discovery of witchcraft which is only available for purchase up to 50 limited copies uh till the end of may i believe so check it out now